Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the In Squash podcast. And uh, today we've got Jesse Engelbrecht, his third visit to the podcast. Uh, he's been on once before with Gary Nesbitt, his uh, partner in crime over at Squash Skills. And uh, this is his second visit by himself. And uh, like I said, the, f- the first time he came on alone, uh, it applies to this one as well. He was shot out of a cannon for this one. Uh, very interesting stuff, covering a lot of ground. Um, now, before before we get into that though I just want to uh, check up on all of you I hope you're all safe and healthy and I just hope uh, you know everybody's doing what they can to uh, stem the spread of this uh, of uh, COVID-19 uh, it's challenging difficult times but I think we're making it through the squash community very well connected very you know everyone is uh, you know we're all friends here and we're all pushing for the same thing obviously globally to stem the spread and uh, within our own little uh, community to try to get back onto the squash court and get back playing again. Um, not all of us have the luxury uh, that uh, you know some do, including uh, JP and uh, Diego there with their Super Squash Saturdays, which hopefully will come off again uh, this week. We'll see how uh, Jonathan's injury uh, to his calf uh, is coming along. But uh, at any rate, everybody keep up the good fight and let, let's beat this thing. Now today, uh, again, Jesse Engelbrick from Squash Skills. Uh, We cover so much ground here, I don't know where to start, but, uh, you know, we get into uh, a little bit about the professionals that he's been working with uh, recently. Uh, He's right now in South Africa, in the bush, like uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and he, uh, you know, he posted a couple of videos there of this rig that his father put together, and... um, uh, some sort of Jeep or something like that from the 1960s. And uh, um, at any rate, uh, he's out there in the middle of nowhere, uh, probably not too concerned about the COVID spread there because there's no one else around. But uh, at the same time, he's uh, you know performing his civic responsibility and social distance, distancing in, in the best way possible. But uh, yes, he's got some great uh, footage uh, of his home squash uh, YouTube stuff that's up there right now. Uh, we talk a bit about that. We also talk about uh, something that he's very passionate about right now, and he's doing some graduate uh, study work, uh, graduate study research on uh, the constraint-led approach in terms of sports and uh, how to how to uh, coach in, in with respect to that. And uh, we'll let uh, Jesse lay that out. Uh, uh, I did read the preface of the original piece of research, and it's quite interesting, but we talk a bit about that. Uh, we also talk about uh, other elements of his coaching, uh, things that he likes to focus on in particular, and what makes him... Um, perhaps a little bit different, maybe one of the new generation of coaches uh, out there. Uh, he has what he calls a sabotage sessions, for example, and we talk uh, a bit about how, how that comes to uh, be in his uh, when he works with his team. He's also doing a fair bit of video analysis as well of uh, a lot of uh, big matches in the past and with all this time on our hands that's something that he's doing and we talk a bit about his findings uh, with regard to that and there's so much more here with jesse uh Now, before we kick things off with Jesse, I just want to say a few words about our sponsor, Active Scout. Does your club still use pen and paper for for court bookings? At Active Scout, we understand that in these strange times, staffing duties will need to be redefined. Taking bookings does not need to be one of those duties. 
Active Scout is the world's most efficient booking app, and we are here to provide your members with a quick and easy way to organize their games and book a court until there is a publicly available vaccine. Active Scout is offering all clubs access to our mobile booking app for free. Yes, that's right, for free. This is not a replacement for your club management system. If you don't have a modern club management system, we would be happy to suggest one that we integrate with. For right now, though, let's make your world a little less expensive. Our redesigned booking system will help keep your members appropriately dispersed throughout the day and make communication a whole lot easier. We will be relaunching the app again on June 1st, but reach out to us today at ActiveScout.com so that we can begin setting up your new mobile booking system. That's ActiveScout without the E.com. Active Scout without the E dot com. Now, shot out of a cannon, episode 139 with Jesse Engelberg. Jesse, how are you? <laughs> yeah, good, thanks. Good, good. Um, yeah. I'll let you know, I'll probably leave my video off because the internet where I'm at is just absolutely shocking. So I think I'm, if not, I surprised, the video I'm on, not surprised. <laughs> I, it, lo- it looks like you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> It is, it is, and, and we're in a valley of like the biggest valleys of the farm, and it's just, oh, it's brilliant, it's paradise. Oh, well, yeah, it, um, it looks amazing, uh, um, Jesse, but, but first of all, I just want to say thanks for, uh, for your time today. Uh, I just saw the pictures, uh, you, I mean, you've posted quite a few <laughs> lately, it looks like, yeah, it looks like you're out in the bush. I well, honestly like that was that was quite a big part of my reason for staying out here because I was I was basically meant to have gone back to the UK a couple of weeks ago and I thought you know what I could be sitting in a small little room in Basingstoke and I thought but yeah there's uh, there's dams and lakes and forests and brys and barbecues that I thought I'd probably stay <laughs> it's, it, there's worse places to be I reckon so but I feel super that, lucky super lucky that, to be here that uh, that speaks to to where you're from doesn't it completely yeah like i wasn't i'm not obviously from so that i was originally from zimbabwe so I grew up on farms in zimbabwe but uh this part of south africa kind of in the north uh northeast near the kruger park and it it does feel very close to zim you know it's very isolated and there's there's not much industry around and stuff it's just farmland so i know it does feel like i'm getting some of the uh african soil back into my blood right on yeah i i, I can understand why i've got a few uh, there are quite a few south africans over here uh and i work with um of a few colleagues from South Africa. And one of the guys was telling me how it's, it was sort of, I, I'm not sure if this is hyperbole or not, but uh, he was saying how it's a rite of passage for, uh, I guess, South Africans, probably even uh, Zimbab- Zimbabweans uh, like you, um, to be dropped into the middle of the bush and have to sort of just find <laughs> your, you've got a week, a week to survive or something yeah. in, in there. Is that that kind of the way it is? Well, uh, yeah, we- we, we had, I think at school, especially in Zim, geez, when like, you know, mid nineties, we had these leadership camps and yeah, they would, they would bus a whole class of us out into, into literally in the middle of the bush, like, you know, probably 10 Ks away from base camp. Uh, they'd mm-hmm. give you one map and like a bottle of water between 10 of you and be like, listen, good luck guys. And we're like 14, 15 year old kids. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> I think health and safety was definitely not adhered to back, back in that day. So yeah. Um, yeah, geez, but like looking at the time, you think this is like horrendous. I hate this. These teachers are being bullies. But in hindsight, I'm like going bloody hell. That was that was amazing. That's I wouldn't oh, man. Yeah, give anything for that. <laughs> yeah. I've got some. I mean, there's this one colleague of mine. We uh, his family and I. We drove from uh, from Dubai to 
Salala down in, in Oman, and we did a lot of camping and things like that. But I'm not. I mean, I like camping, but I'm not like Mister. Uh, you know, I can. I can't throw the tent up in like two seconds or anything. Okay, but he he's he's got the whole kit. Uh, as soon as I got out of the car, it seemed like everything was uh, was all set up. Oh, really? Then, yeah. Uh, no, see, I'm, I'm not as good as that. Personally, I just, I just, yeah, I hack about a little bit. But it's just, it's just, it's just the environment you're in, isn't it? When you're camping, like, like you said, yeah. if you're in the desert and in these beautiful scenes, that's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, then there's this. Uh, uh, I mean, we'll get to the squash here in a second. But this got me thinking. Uh, he uh, he told me this crazy story. He was on a uh, a bus. And it was, a, I think, it was a university uh, field trip or something like that. And the bus had hit some sort of wild, like a wildebeest or something. And it was, <laughs> it was, uh, uh, it was on the side of the road, uh, wow. just lying there. Uh, it wasn't dead. So uh, my friend said, "This is what he says." Now I don't know how how much of this is true or not. But <laughs> he said, he said uh, he told the driver to stop. So the, the driver okay. stops. Then he gets uh, gets off the bus and goes over to the the animal and breaks its neck. Oh shit! That's yeah. hectic. Because, but like I, I've heard stories. I've never experienced that myself. But it is. It's probably kinder to do that than let the yeah. poor thing suffer on the side of the road and stuff. Absolutely, but, it's yeah, gonna get gonna like, get eaten alive. Completely. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like it. It is. I, I, you know, there's. We. Oh, it sounds weird, but that's that's probably a very kind thing to be able to do. But personally, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. I never, no. I'd be like, no chance. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, now when he first told me the story, I was like, okay. But then, you know, it took, took once it marinated a bit, and uh, I realized, yeah, yeah that, that's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, he's the right guy to do it. Yeah, geez, he sounds like a proper, proper, proper Bushman as well, that guy. He oh, yeah. Like he's, a he's a proper <laughs> He is. I don't know how he's an academic, but, uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> Much more academic than me. That's, that's, that's for sure. He knows his stuff. But, uh, anyways, Jesse, great, great to have you on the pod. Uh, and uh, first, uh, um, just want to ask how your family's doing under these, uh, you know, under these circumstances. Your family, your friends, uh, everything okay there in uh, in South Africa? You know, we're not really hearing much on the news about uh, big uh, Corona infections numbers uh, there. Mm. No, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Jerry. I, I, I always always good to hear the podcast you've been doing with everyone else at the moment, and probably a good time for for to well to have everyone on podcast. So, very very happy to join you here. So, yeah. In regards to South Africa, geez, I think we we especially my family and where we're at, we're in we're in a bubble at the moment. It, it's it's great. If I'm honest, it sounds really weird, but we live on a on a, on a farm which is uh, you know about 15 kilometer radius farm. It's beautiful it's and we, we basically self-isolated on this this farm so mm. we've been really cool in a way but i actually heard on the news a couple of days ago i think uh, a lot of the who were complimenting south africa on what they've done with the virus it's been really strict here uh, mm. the lockdown has been intense no cigarettes no alcohol on sale um Ooh. and people i know the alcohol thing wow it's a big i mean the, you guys like the you, you guys like your drink <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised a lot of the Afrikaners have not just taken to like just storming, uh, storming the stores with it. But yeah. um, quite a funny, funny story. The um, have you heard of the pineapple beer thing that's happened here at the moment? Okay, so be- <laughs> so everyone started doing some homebrew, and it's basically pineapple beer. So the the pineapple sales and the cost of pineapples is one of the most expensive commodities at the moment. So you basically, because you can't buy alcohol, everyone's doing this home brew stuff. And okay, yeah. yeah, by all accounts, it's pretty amazing. So I think tomorrow it's we've like got moonshine about five or beers left in our house. 
Exactly. Um, and so basically tomorrow we're going to go down and get a few pineapples ourselves and start doing our home brew as well because it has been pretty, pretty hectic with no alcohol. And that's been, so it's been about four weeks now. Um, yeah. But the country seems to have really well. You know, the, the, the amount mm. of infections uh, where I'm at, so I live in a region here called Mpumalanga. And Mpumalanga is basically the size of, size of Britain. It's huge. It's a huge province. And there's only been 44 reported cases with no deaths. Okay. So, jeez, wow. um, oh, we, we feel like we've been really lucky. Dodged the massive bullet. Uh, I, look, I don't know what it is. Was it the heat? Is it because we've been really strict? Uh, all the masks were in really early on here the social distancing was really strongly adhered to so yeah i feel actually really safe being here at the moment especially on the farm plus the whole province has had really low things so fingers crossed uh, it's yeah. looking okay at the moment but yeah well, what the future is going to look like we just don't know and what the squash world is going to be is, is, is something to be, to be debated i think yeah, definitely. I mean, in big cities like, like like Dubai or London or whatever, I mean, people where their you know businesses are feeling the the pinch a bit, you know, they they want to get back out there, and and that's where it gets a bit sketchy. I, I think in like open spaces where you are and uh, places like that, I think um, probably it's it's a much better uh, situation. Definitely, I know. Feel feel very lucky. So yeah, and again, I I live just you know probably an hour south of London. So I, I know when I get back, I, I'm getting getting back into the hubbub of it all, like big city type vibes. So and yeah, I've been speaking with a lot of my mates in the UK and stuff, and and yeah, they say it's pretty pretty miserable over there. Like everyone, you know, it is is. I don't know. I don't know how you've been feeling, but but it comes in waves, doesn't it? You know, there's mm. moments of positivity for like maybe four or five days. You're feeling positive. You're doing things you you were meant to do, and then there's always those couple of days that seem to hit, and it's just like, wow, okay, this is uh, this is this is getting getting quite hard now. So uh, and, uh, yeah, I think if you like, if you expose yourself to to a like I went to, for example, uh, I've been doing pretty much staying at home. I'm I'm working from home. Uh, doing right. a lot of my my tra- you know exercise training whatever what, whatever you want to call it from here, uh, but then I went out to get groceries. So I've been feeling pretty good. And then I went to get some groceries at uh, one of the mm. supermarkets, and the place was just packed. Oh and, wow! Okay. Uh, and I was like, well, this can't be you know this can't be good. Oh, right. you know? Yeah. It was like it was like a busy subway uh, state, like the tube or something. Serious? Yeah. Oh man! And were people wearing masks or not? Oh yeah, yeah. People. I mean, you had to wear. They took your temperature as you were going in and, and things like that. But you'd think wow. they would have had a counter or something where you know you only. But it is Ramadan here now, so. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, but yeah. Hopefully. And and how's how's your family in Canada? How 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 are they all coping with things? Yeah, the the Canadian uh, clan. They seem my my parents seem okay. You know, they're they're doing what they have to do. And my daughter, <clears throat> my daughter's there. Uh, you know, in university, but doing the on online stuff. So, yeah, it sure. seems. Um, yeah, you just. I mean, I heard a friend of mine though. His uh, his mother in law passed away, and oh, well. his um, sister in law, who was very fit, very healthy, she also passed away from it. So Ooh. it was the first first person that I know of. Uh, like a good friend of mine who's been affected by it. So, yeah, first, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, when you hear it's, stuff it's, like that, you know, it gets you thinking. But totally, uh, no, I know. I've, I've lucky, fingers crossed, and hopefully will be being protected from that. No, no one in my close circle or even a friend of a friend has been affected yet. But yeah, it's one of those things that feels unfortunately feels inevitable, doesn't it? It feels like at some point, you know, yeah. whatever in the next six months to a year, you know, there's going to be going to be a bunch of people that are going to be affected by it in some some form 
Yeah, I guess, you know, and the best thing we can do is just, uh, you know, our civic responsibility, and that's just uh, self-isolate yeah. and uh, you know, do what yeah. we can to stem it. But uh, yeah, Jesse, mm-hmm. good, uh, good to have you on the, on the podcast now. Uh, but yeah, before we, I got another, I mean, all those Facebook pictures uh, got me going. <laughs> what was that rig you were driving, by the way? Oh man, that's uh, well. I, man, I mean that that that's Bush as well. I think, <laughs> I think it's, it's like it's it's my father's uh, second son. I think he's calling it. So it's a 1961 Land Rover Series 2A. He's basically done it up from scratch over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, wow. Managed to find it in South Africa and got all the original parts from Birmingham, all the original you know uh, face plates and parts of the engine and every every couple of weeks we do it up a little bit more on that so it's basically it's like my heirloom that, that that Land Rover and it's beautiful hey so we uh we it's called bundu bashing so bundu is another name for bush over here um, bundu, so okay. bundu yeah you go bundu bashing so you basically drive on on a normal road for a bit if you see like a little bit of the bush that you go right i want to conquer that but you just you just take a sharp left and uh, you just go go bundu bashing uh and then you eventually find probably like a dam somewhere or stop from the forest and just have a few beers so it's got a cooler box built into the into the back as well so there's always oh, cold yeah. beers in the back in the back it's so yeah, it's, it's a beautiful beautiful machine um and yeah like just i think and again we're not we're not being uh, reckless or anything out here but we're, we're social distancing obviously massively but you know when it's just me and your or me and my father that we're just off in the bush we we're not seeing anyone that you know no. and we're not socializing so it feels kind of okay to do at the moment yeah, I, guess, I mean social distancing by definition i think you're just there with your your family you're not out and above Correct, yeah. you know so so yeah and, and you're doing it to the extreme right you've got this whole <laughs> massive uh you know plot of land that you can, you can hang yeah, out yeah. it's it, it, again I, I i feel so lucky and blessed to to have this space and to be here and i don't know just like a lot of reflecting time as well it just it just mm. gives you thought you know it's well i read your blog I, I read your blog that you posted up there and that, that that that's very i mean i, I enjoyed i'm doing a lot of what you what you're doing actually but we'll get into oh, that uh, uh yeah in a no. little bit yeah, no, geez. And, and uh, again, I'm not, not sure how long I'm going to be out here still. It feels like at least a couple of weeks. They're talking about some repatriation flights back to the UK. Yeah. Um, only British Airways are meant to be having their first flights on the 24th of May, I've heard. That's their first scheduled commercial flights, but that could change as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to sit tight and, you know. So, you, even if you wanted to go back, you couldn't right now. Oh, it's impossible. It's absolutely yeah. impossible. I, I can't. Yeah. It's, it's no, there's no chance. There's no commercial flights. The, um, the airport in Joburg, uh, you, you're banned from turning up to the airport. If you get, if you turn up at the airport for a flight, they'll just turn you away. Right. So yeah, there's, there's, you know, I, I think, you know, writing that blog as well. And, and around about that time, there was a little bit of anxiety building up thinking like, Oh my goodness, like when am I going to get back? And, you know, just almost overthinking it and, 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 and getting quite upset about the uncontrollables and, and all these eventualities that could happen. And, you know, just every, every few days, not a few days, but you know, there, there are those down moments. And, you know, I think you just got to look at yourself and look around and just be like, well, there's certain things I can't control. So I'm not going to initially give it that much attention or that much anxiety or that much thought if I can avoid it. And yeah, that's, that's helped a hell of a lot, you know, thinking that, well, there's no commercial flights, so don't, don't get worried about it when they start operating again, you know, let's start thinking about getting, getting on one of those and getting back. So 
yeah, no, it's been it, it's it's an interesting time, and I'm not sure everyone else is faring in regard to the reflection, reflective side of things, or mm. coping with the I suppose anxiety and the mental health of it, because that's something I've I've been pretty interested in a lot for a long time, but probably even more so it's magnified in uh, in this little period, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think you cover a lot of that in in your blog and the way you sort of approach uh, your morning and your afternoon routines and the different things that you mm. do to keep. Uh, you know, keep your mind uh, active and keep, uh, you know, yeah. doing different. Those, yeah. Those home workout stuff, like I alluded to, are great. And I think everyone is really keen at, at the start. But I think I've just seen more and more and more of them. And, you know, in squash skills, we, we've tried them. And I think they've been great and they've helped people. But I think the the more I was looking for stuff, the you know, there was definitely some, you know, mental stuff around. But, yeah, I, th- I think hopefully people are going to start to maybe talk more about it. You know, I think it's a big thing about actually just talking about the mental health is one of the the, the, the big things. And someone sent me this amazing message um, earlier today. Actually, it was it was just it was using Winnie the Pooh and Piglet as as reference points right. um, about the Tower about, of Pooh. <laughs> uh, no, no, not that one. That sounds a good one. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was it was it was about um, it's actually it's okay to be sad and it's okay to because um, a lot of it was about like oh well you shouldn't be sad you've got a house and you've got an income and you've got beautiful things around you so you shouldn't be sad you know that's a lot of what sometimes mm-hmm. the the viewpoint is but this article was about uh, it's okay to be sad even if you have got these amazing things around you it's okay like you know you you are allowed to be sad and you are allowed to. Um, have have moments of un- uncertainty and it was just mm. really well put and it was almost directed at uh, it kind of felt like it was written for for almost like teenagers maybe but but it did it, 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 it's, it's a great article and i'm probably going to share it and stuff so if anyone oh, should, yeah, yeah. facebook stuff it's a really powerful it's only like five paragraphs but it's it really got me thinking about you know it, it's fine to be sad and you can't always be mr happy and positive and motivated and I think if you can recognize when you are sad and reflective, that's, that's, that's powerful. So yeah, yeah 100%, quite 100%. Now I wanted to uh, ask you uh, just before we, we get into it as well. Uh, I mean, the, you've got your uh, squash Academy and then you've got, yes. is that, is that, that's a set, is that separate from uh, what you do with squash skills as well? Cause I think it is, but, yes, but it it's kind of connected, but it's separate. Uh, why exactly it's it's it, it's basically me isn't it <laughs> like yeah, yeah. if i'm squash skills work it does overlap into my squash academy work so yeah like um a good a good bunch of juniors um you know and, and i've been sending them little you know just motivational messages and yeah, i saw bits. some of the uh, the posts you had up there your juniors uh, doing <laughs> their 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 squash stuff at home which was uh, oh was so impressive and all, all, all of yeah all of that was driven by them um you know all, all i've done is just try to create an environment i suppose over the previous years where we've spoken about this on a previous podcast, I, mm. I think it's about creating creating better people and creating good people. And I think over the years, just try to empower my juniors to 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 be puzzle solvers, to come up with new sessions, even within the session I'm running, to to mentor other younger kids as well. And I think just seeing some of the stuff they've done in their isolation and their lockdown has been inspiring for me. You know, they've been sending me things they've been doing to keep active, to keep on it, to work on their skills, to work on the mental side of their game. So yeah, for me, it's almost like a little proud dad moment being, you know, 6,000 miles away and <laughs> see them just, you know, do it themselves and spawn ideas. So you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take it over, trying to keep it going. Uh, the, 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 what I find quite interesting and a couple of pros, are, you know, Tom, Tom Richards and Alison Waters, we yeah. worked with them for the last couple of years. 
So yeah, I just had Allison on. Week. She she gave you a lot of credit for yes. for the for the good season <laughs> she had uh, uh, at the beginning of last season. Anyway, she she really started playing well. Yeah. So so did uh, so did Tom. Uh, Tom had you know that big win over uh, Leo Ao at the Tournament of Champions, yes. and uh, yeah. he's just one of these guys who uh, I, you know he's obviously got a lot of talent. He just He's right there in the yeah. mix and needs uh, just a couple of big wins to get him over the hump. Completely. Completely. And, and I think one, one of the matches I got really excited from his at the start of the season, um, he, was, he was actually he was two love up on Ali Farag. He was two love and about eight four up in the China Open. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was yeah. the first match of the season. And, you know, he lost it eventually, but he said he was, you know, disappointed to lose, but really pleased with the performance. So it felt like there was a little, you know, not, not that that was a result, but there was like a, like the level of performance was was raising the whole time and stuff. And, you know, just both Alison and Tom, just so receptive to anything, you know, I bring to the table. I, I, I never claim to know everything by no stretch, but I, I'm always making suggestions. I'm always going, right, have you thought about it this way? Or should we try something like this? Or I noticed this bit. And, and they're just great students. So I Well, that's what really Alison said. I mean, she said uh, someone told her about you and she knew you uh, from when you were playing on tour. And I think Tom sure. basically uh, uh, said the same thing. It's that uh, perhaps uh, you, you brought something new, something fresh, something maybe, maybe a little bit different uh, than what, uh, what they were used to. So well, what do you think that is maybe what, what they were referring to? Um, it sounds weird. I think it, I'm just curious. I'm always curious and I'm, 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 I'm just asking questions and look, try, trying to look at things from different angles and perspectives. So, you know, I think there's, there's certain, you call them the non-negotiables, certain things that I would probably like. You know, I remember the coaching. non-negotiables. Go through those again, uh, uh, refresh, because uh, we did talk about it the uh, last time. Yeah. Yeah, it, look, it does, it does vary the non-negotiables as well. So it sounds a bit of a, like a counterintuitive thing there, the non-negotiables. But every, everything, everything is with the, the big thing that, that, that we've been trying to work on in regard to the non-negotiables is, is we've got to really play to what your style of play you want to play to. You know, let's, let's know you as a person. Let's understand what you really want to put out there. Cause there's no point in me going, Hey, listen, I've seen, um, Galway play this way, Tom. So we're going to, we're going to hit those shots by Galway. That, that wouldn't work if I, if I come, you know, full steam ahead and go, this is how you should do it. But it's trying to identify their strengths. And, and I know it sounds not necessarily strange, but what they, what they really enjoy, why, why do you enjoy playing in the style or, or what, what, what makes you enjoy the game? And then we try to build it around that a lot. Um, so for me, weirdly, that, that, that's quite a big non-negotiable is going, I'm not going to lecture to you about how to play this, the game. And I want you to be really open-minded with, with how we want to go about this. Uh, so I think I, when you're alluding to the, the, the different thing, I think that's maybe what I'm just trying to do. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I want to I make the players, well, put it this way. In the heat of battle, when when Allison's on court, when Tom's on court, there's there's no one else besides them on there, so they can't look out and look for a coach or look for a parent or look for someone who's helping them between games. So the sessions I try to run with them is going. So how can you be the problem solver? How can you be the one to 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 come up with the solution in the heat of battle? And that's you know that's what the top ten do really well, don't they? You know, in any given day, they can they can flex, they can adapt, they can change, they can solve that problem, and that's the, the the big thing I'm keeping trying to trying to nudge towards Tom and Allison, and uh, I think <laughs> I, I just think sometimes some of our lessons we probably talk for seventy percent of it, and I think sometimes those are the most powerful lessons, like the less ball hitting, 
but getting into the the mental side, getting into the 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 reason you're trying to do this. Or, or yeah, because at the end it? of the day, I mean, they, they they've done that, uh, been there and done that. Hit, hitting the ball Completely. is something that they you know they they know how to do. So I guess yeah. uh, what you're saying Completely, is yeah. yeah, being able and, to think think on your feet and make things yeah. happen when exactly you need to, and. You know. It's it's we might get into this in, in a little bit, but but there's that um, the the, the constraints based approach that, mm. that I've been looking at, and, and I'm I'm starting a journey on writing a book on it, and, and a lot of my I read the preface. Policy. Right, okay. What, what did you think of it? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I've got a lot of questions, but uh, not, not <laughs> but yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, it sounds intriguing. Yeah, and, and, and that's so most of the sessions we try to get on rather than going, um, right, let's let's make you, f- I don't know, it sounds weird, but, but the, I'm trying to dial up the realism in most of the sessions. So even if the session, even if they don't feel great in the session, so, you know, I could make them hit 50 volleys down the line and then 50 backhand volley drops and, and they'd feel a million dollars doing it. But my question is, how is that relevant to a match? And how is that shot going to be played or felt in the real context? I know this sounds really simple, but I think a lot of players possibly go on and, and hit a lot of balls and they feel good. They feel in the rhythm. They feel, they feel like, wow, I'm getting this. I've got my timing. I'm moving really well. I'm flowing around the court. But squash is chaos, in my opinion. Squash mm. is just so much chaos on there that if, if your training environment is a kind environment and it's, it's very um, geared towards you making feel good and confident, what happens when chaos hits and what happens when the confidence is not there and what happens when you need to play that shot and you're slightly off balance? How do you so, find the method within the madness? Um, so I've got, I've come up with this thing called supersets, which Tom and Al- Tom and Alison both kind of hate and love at the same time. Supersets. Supersets. Mm-hmm. Well, basically it's, it's like uh, the best way I can describe it. It's, it's a certain pattern or it's a certain way. It, it's a pressure session in essence, but the last shot is always your finishing shot. It's always the shot you want to be able to, whether it's a backhand volley drop. So we identify the last shot. We go, Right, we want to we want to tune in the backhand volley drop. So then I'll set up this pattern where it's a repeating pattern of say three or four different movement fits. But then every so often I just add a random element into it, and they've got to adapt to the random element as soon as that gets thrown in. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a slight bit of ghosting in it, and it's all tailored to be um, short, sharp, but high intensity type stuff. And we do like lots of little blocks of this. Uh, and then on that backhand volley drop, I say right, so if you're going to play a backhand volley drop, which parts of the court would you approach that backhand volley drop from? So first one, obviously from the deep backhand. So you've hit a deep backhand and you play then a backhand volley drop as a follow-up shot. So then we work those two shots and then we just keep going back and back and back from that point. We almost have a story behind each superset. So we, we almost mimic or create a rally situation going, so here's the narrative, here's the story, here's the bit of random chaos. How are you executing that final shot with that narrative and that story all happening around. So for me, I, I find that really interesting because it's, yeah. it, 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 it's, this, it's, it's constraints based. It's where we're constraining the situation, but we're linking it to a story at the same time. So I think that that's where it's been really an interesting journey to try and yeah, just, just get them to feel that, that cause, cause you know, squash, that's, an, that's a great analogy for a squash rally. It's not even an, an analogy. It's actual, it's reality. I mean, every, every rally uh, is its own story, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Completely, completely. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's what I challenge. Like, like, so before one of the sessions, I might, I might basically say, so, we'll start warming up and doing our thing, but I'll say, right, in about 20 minutes, I want you to come up with three of your own supersets. And I want you to tell me why you want it, why are you doing it? What part of the match this is in, when this happens, how often it happens. 
And, you know, is it one of your, is it one of your better situations or is it one of your worst situations? So we don't just do supersets to make it uncomfortable. We do it also to build confidence. Uh, and yeah, it's just, that's been a really interesting journey. And it, it, what I like about it, it, every single session is slightly different. It, it's mm. never, it's never a repeating type thing. It, it's very rare. You know, we might do the, the, the a similar superset. We've probably got our top three favorite ones that, that are almost our go-to ones. And what those those supersets have actually become, they've almost become our drop and drive. So, so you know, drop and drive. You get an everyone, the coach needs yeah. to drop. And the Everyone's drive. favorite. Exactly. But our, our, super, our drop and drive has, has, has become a superset. So rather than it being rhythmical and timing and we ease into the match, we're going, well, no, here we go. Let's get straight into a superset. This might be your first rally of a match. You know, you can't, you don't have the luxury to have 50 drives in the back end and 50 drives in the forehand. You've <laughs> got to be on it from yeah. that first rally. So, you know, and that's, that was actually a big thing that, that we did with Alison because she was quite a slow starter and, and, mm-hmm. and still needs a bit of work on that. But, you know, she would invariably go six, one, seven, one down and then start playing well. So we did a whole bunch of stuff just to go, right, come on, we, we've got to be at least five all in the first game you know and, and we can't we can't necessarily afford to go six one down and just start, start hoping for the best so we started to have the benchmark of of five all in the first game is is, is our is our safe place if we can be five all in the first game we'd be pretty happy with that and then we go from there so yeah that's well, it, interesting and, and, i mean would you build like a like a superset like let's say um you 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 have a, a certain type of player that you would be considering maybe the the egyptian style uh or, yeah. or um you know, sort of a more of an up and down the wall type type of uh, maybe more of a sort of traditional attritional, traditional, uh, attritional style. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what was the question again? We, we no, what, I mean, do you do you create supersets based on the on different types of uh, opposition or? Oh, completely. Like I yeah. think. Um, so that that, that um, was an I guess the ob- obvious uh, reason yeah, why you completely. would do it. Yeah. Completely, like, like again. So when, if, if we look at the draw and Tom's playing an Egyptian player, or right. you know, someone fires the ball in really short and quick, going right, the super set, you know, at any given moment, my my random bit is I can just I can go for the nick at any point. I'm just going to chop it in, so you can't, you know, sit back and rally with me. You've got to be aware the whole time that that I can just throw this ball in. Uh, so yeah, we'd favor we'd favor the that side of it. Obviously, with a traditional player, to so say like, uh, you know, no disrespect, but someone like Paul Cole, who's beautiful and like flipping awesome but but you know there's a lot of good straight lines there's a lot you know what's coming but but it's really hard to deal with then mm-hmm. we create a whole other superset where i guess i guess with that superset too you, you'd probably want to uh consider the fact that he gets just about everything back too well, completely so so mm-hmm. that's exactly what we've done so so those supersets are way more extended um even even when we're doing it i'm because because i have to move quite a bit in the supersets and i have to pick up quite a few balls as well i'm allowed double bounces the whole time so whatever whatever if tom thinks he's hit a winner i'm getting that ball back on a double bounce and tom has to then back it up again so it's quite quite fun creating these almost um almost like absurd supersets like extreme exaggerated ones going right so you're going to play someone and that ball's never going to die the only way you're going to beat him is is if you and like someone like that i mean like, some guy i mean you see that i mean uh on tour yeah. some of these guys get everything completely so how how we start to try deal with that one is rather than trying to i suppose finish the rally what what we've discussed and this this tom was great at this he said well i'm not going to try to finish the rally but i'm going to play that ball so flip and tight that even if he's there he cannot he cannot play that ball off that wall so 
it almost the focus turns into not winning it, but squeezing the opponent. So I think that's a little way we're trying to combat those attritional players is going, well, you know what, they're going to get it back, but it doesn't matter how fast you are, how well you move or how many balls you get back. If that ball is actually glued to the side wall, there ain't not much you can do with that. So it, it's quite an interesting little kind of mind shift we, we do with that one. Um, and yeah, so then if like, <laughs> if Tom slightly clips the side wall before it hits the floorboard, there's, there's a slight consequence in there as well. So there, there, okay. there's something that we discuss because then everything's focused on not even going for the nick. It's just going, right, we've got to have that ball as tight as possible. So yeah, and again, this is, this is the fun journey. I think I'm always trying to just, just, just challenge myself, challenge the players. Just, just. Well, that, I mean, that, I mean, not only is that, not only is this great stuff for for the pros, but I mean, it's stuff that we can all uh, think about. You know, a little, a little oh, superset yeah. uh, based on three, four different styles of, of player, and then you go out there with your, you know, with the your one, training the partner. Thing, yeah. The thing we discovered within the superset, so we we tend to have an agreement that it's it's always a ten eight six combination. What what that means is. You do, do 10 of them, you do 10 of the supersets, uh, which roughly takes about a minute, maybe just over a minute. Then you mm -hmm. have a, like a 15 second break, then you do eight, then you have a 15 second break and you do six. So the supersets get less because at that point that you're doing the, the last one, which is six, you are, you're hurting, you are tired, you're physically hanging on, but there's still this expectation to step up the court and volley and take that ball early mm -hmm. because you know the finish line is there. The finish line is really close that you can you can push flipping hard whereas the the pressure sessions i used to do in the past like like when i was play, training as a pro it was almost just like right you're going to do it for 20 minutes and you're just going to hang on and you're going to grind and you're going to yeah. grind and i yeah. found that made players quite defensive it made me quite defensive because i would just sit back and grind it rather than going do you know what the finish line is right there if i can just push really hard onto this next shot or really bust my gut to get onto that volley you know what the rally could be over then so there's this little carrot that dangles with the superset. Like the the tighter you get, the the finish line feels quite close. <laughs> so okay, it's like a perverse, yeah. perverse little thing that we try and do, and they 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 love it because they're thinking like, right, okay, cool. Like, I could, it's not just about sitting back and going through the motions because the coach says we've got to do it for this amount of shots. It's about right, I've, my finish line's there, so I'm going to be flipping hard to push up and get that ball in. Right on. Now, uh, not only have you been uh, working with uh, with the pros, but you've put out some some fantastic uh, what you call your your family home uh, family uh, YouTube uh, footage there, which is fan uh, some of some of it's in your what appears to be your living room or your kitchen, and some of it is out there in, in the bush where you've been uh, enjoying life. Uh, so take us through. Uh, I'm not you know not specifically what exactly you've done in those things uh, in those uh, episodes but uh, what you're you know generally what you're you're trying to achieve with with, uh, with this kind of uh, you know what you're what you're yeah. doing with those yeah I think well I listened to your podcast with Jeff it was great to hear him talking about it as well um you know very simple it was just it was just to spawn some imaginative stuff that play, people can do you know mm. yes if you get slightly better at ball skills if you get slightly better with your movement fantastic but in a way it wasn't even as big a picture as that, if I'm if I'm honest. You know, there there is cool little quirky things, but it's to engage the squash girls family, to engage the the squash world. Uh, to, keep it fun, I think too. Yeah, honestly, I, like and, and you know, did the, the ghosting one recently, and it was hard, but it, but there was hopefully a bit of fun, and you heard the tractor starting up in the background, and you know, <laughs> that water bottles ghost in there, and, and actually all, yeah. all the kind of 
the farm workers' kids were all like screaming and waving at me, trying to get my attention while I was doing it. So yeah, yeah again, it, it, it's very easy to make things really serious and going, right, we, we, we're going to make you into these better players and stronger and you're going to be more flexible and mobile. A lot of what I'm trying to do is just going, you know what, can it, can it just be a bit of fun? Can it be imaginative? Can it, can it stimulate people? Look, and, and if it, I was really like heartwarmed, a few of the guys that um, come and, you know, just my club members at my club that, that play, they go, oh man, my, me and my seven-year-old boy did it and we, we kind of bonded over it and we followed it and I gave a little shout out on one of the videos and the kid was just glowing going, oh my goodness, I can't believe someone on YouTube like said my name and all this stuff. So, you know, I think, if, if it just if it makes a few people engaged, a few people happy, a few people connecting with their kids and, and stimulating some of that stuff, for me, that's job done in a way. If there's improvement with your hitting and stuff, great. But that, that for me feels like a byproduct uh, in regard to the whole fun, engaging, something maybe slightly different. Uh, but, but like I said in my recent blog, I think about all the home workout stuff, there's so much out there and there's, there's oh, a yeah. lot of good stuff. There's a lot of yeah. amazing stuff. So I suppose it's trying well, to I've find... Been, uh, I did, uh, I had been following the Nick Matthew stuff and then I oh, thought, well, awesome. let's give it a, let's give it a, uh, a go with uh, Laura Macero. She put one out the other yes. day that was, uh, she said, it, it, the title was Tough Something. So I, I right. did it. Yeah. I did it today and uh, yeah, it was tough and it was, oh, it was fun. Was tough. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's uh, tough as nails as well. So. Yes, I know. It's the, 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 York, the Yorkshire blood in those two. Is that she, I don't know. Like, she and Nick Matthew are from the same area, right? Yeah. You, yeah, I you can tell the accent. You can tell yeah, by... Yeah, yeah. by <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I hope it's not... One of them might be from Lancashire because there's a... No, I think they're both from okay, Yorkshire. They, they get upset about that kind of stuff. Exactly. Lancashire, yeah. Lancashire and Yorkshire, there, there's some serious rivalry. It is amazing to see all the stuff that people are doing. I think um, the one I'm looking forward to is uh, Daryl Selby and Nick Matthews one. They, they, have you seen the one they're bringing up next week? Yeah, yeah. I heard, I heard about that. And they've got yeah. um, two – who's coming? Oh, Gregory Galtier and – Greg um, and James. And James, yeah. So that, that'll be a lot of fun. Exactly. So, yeah, geez, I think – and that's brilliant. You know, the more of that stuff that – the squash family can see, you know, the, again, the home workout stuff's great, but I think the pros doing, you know, a game show, TV show type stuff, a squash version of that, uh, yeah. the podcast, I think podcasts are great to, to get stuck into as well. Um, you know, so there, there's, there is so much, you know, creative, inventive stuff that, that is starting to come out. And yeah, and, and again, looking, looking forward to seeing more of it come out. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where it's going to go in the next uh, few weeks or so, how the home workout stuff's going to evolve, how it might change a little bit. Uh, well, I think I think you hit it on the head there. I mean, with, in terms of the squash, we're definitely missing it. But you know, you keep it fun. You know, you do some mm -hmm. stuff with your kids or, or with your friends, if you uh, siblings or whoever's uh, around, and you keep yep. your interest, you keep your eye on the ball, uh, just in a fun way. And then when, whenever we're allowed back on court, it's going to be, uh, you know, we're <laughs> we're going to be looking for. I mean, it, it'll be fun. It'll be great to get back on court. Yeah, pe people are gonna people are gonna explode when they get back on court, aren't they? It's just gonna be yeah. so much fun when that happens. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Now, um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned in your blog that you'd been uh, a couple of things. I wanted to ask you first: uh, uh, you'd been analyzing a lot of video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, you don't have to go into great detail on all of that, but I wonder if you uh, discuss were were there any eureka moments there for you? Um. 
wouldn't say eureka moments yet. Well, the reason I'm doing it is uh, to, to enhance some of my, my coaching. So, for example, I've, I think I've got, I think I've downloaded 10 matches over the last, you know, couple of years. And there were some of the classics, you know, Rami at the Grasshopper Cup, where he, where he beat Maggie Three Love. Um, yeah. I think a couple of gold matches where I think it was Gohar had a really good, I can't, I can't remember all of the top of my head. So what I've done. Nor, Norhan Gohar? Yes, exactly. Oh, so my God, like, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. I've, I saw her play in uh, Dubai two years ago. And she mm. she wasn't in great the greatest form, but even then, like I was like she's she's amazing. amazing. And now she's my oh, favorite, like my I think one of my favorite players to watch, man or woman. She is just so, so intense and uh, yeah, yeah. She yeah. play yeah, yeah she plays hard and uh, it's it's great to watch. Yeah. It was, what it was, is it about her game that, that you find? Uh, I mean, she she plays the game differently than than I think just about anyone. Yeah, completely. I think the, the the thing that comes to mind as soon as I see her, the the the, the like the likeness I can give is remember when Muhammad burst onto the scene and, and it was just mm-hmm. the raw power and he was blowing people away by the intensity, the pace. I feel she's the the girl version of that at the moment. You know, she she's come on and she just when she wants to dial it up, I don't think many yeah. people can live with her. She's, you know, maybe Camille a little bit or or you know, obviously with Renima Walili, her racket work, her skills, um, you know, might be able to compete. But there's something that when she just gets that 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 glint in her eye, if you can call yeah. it that, yo, it's there's 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 not many people who can, who can stop that that that. And then she's also, I mean, she moves really well. Like she's very uh, she's very athletic. You can just tell by the well, way she she moves she moves around the court. Yeah, well, I, I, on that, like it was actually just just as Alice and I were starting working together. Um, Alison lost to her twice at the start of that whatever season it was a couple of years ago, and then beat her twice quite convincingly at the end of that season. And it was actually the movement that we'd, we'd discovered that wasn't very good at a certain point. Like she wasn't really good at the twisting, turning. She didn't get that low on some of the shots. But since that point, and this is where I think she's almost had her, her renaissance, if you can call that, where she's, she's found this new gear. That's the big thing I think that she's gone and worked on. Like, so when, when Alison did beat her those couple of times, I remember watching those matches and it was, her movement was suspect. There was something not quite right. But then she went away in the summer, did something, and came back, and it was just a world apart. It was phenomenal. Mm. And yeah. I don't know what she did, but I think she just probably went and did so much movement with whoever, whatever coach she was working with. So, yeah, I think watching her now, especially some of her, her latest stuff, it's really good to analyze the, 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 the things she's doing. And all I'm, all I'm doing with this is, is anything I'm seeing that's of relevance, of whoever player, from Gultier to Nick to obviously Farag, Tarek, everyone, uh, just just clipping these videos and just going right. That's the deep backhand movement. Oh right, there's that forehand volley drop, and I'm almost trying to build up a library just on my own personal computer or iPad or whatever of just go to um, almost like signature shots or signature things that the players do. You know, obviously mm-hmm. James Wolf dropped the, the long drop from the back. You know, so every yeah. time he's playing that long drop, I'm I'm clipping it, I'm storing it, I'm I'm putting it into my. Because yeah, when he, when he plays that drop, I mean, I mean, obviously you've got a much better eye than I do, but there's a like when it's there, it's, he seems like he's preparing to hit that shot. It seems like for hours, you know, oh, it's, it's like, uh, when, you know, what's he going to do? <laughs> phenomenal. And, and again, even like, that's what I love about, you know, just clipping it. So I'll clip that little three seconds and I'll go back and watch it four or five times. And, and, and just the most smallest subtle things he does is as he brings his racket down to the ball to play it, he just, he just stops about a foot away from the ball. And there's like this, his racket always stays about a foot away from the ball as he's tracking it. And there's almost like this, like like he creates a vacuum. I think that that's the best way to describe mm. what he does. He creates this like mini vacuum for about half a second, yeah. And 
goes and plays the shot. And that's, and that for me is what, what does it. That, so, that mini vacuum you speak of, I mean, that's in his mind, right? Like he, he, he can yes, feel that. He can feel that as his rackets on just behind the ball. Can't he? Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. that, that moment of lull. So yeah. in my, and, and again, I just doing this before the lockdown as well. And I was showing some of my, my better juniors, cause I wouldn't show this to, you know, intermediates or even club players. Cause it's, it's too much possibly for some of them. But I, you know, I just, I'll show them probably eight or nine in a row of James playing that certain shot. And they just then get such an amazing visual picture of this that they go, right. And then they go and put their own style on it. They don't try and copy exactly, but they just go, ah, I've seen it. And, you know, visual, visual learning for, for, for sport or for anything as massive as, as we all know. So, yeah, that, that's been the big driver behind getting these clips is, is, is trying to get signature things or, or again i'll go back to that word non-negotiable certain mm. non-negotiables with the movement with the split step with the execution of the lob from the front and you know you're still it something I, I can't i don't uh, feel comfortable with uh, all the time the split step, uh, the split step. i'm too old <laughs> oh, come on jerry no i don't believe <laughs> that's, that's that's an excuse i'm not really okay okay no i was <laughs> I, I remember way back like when i was a junior i was a like a top junior in my province and uh and I moved up in the, the men's rankings pretty quickly. But my coach at the time, and I didn't listen, and I should have, told me right. I should move down the division and change okay. my footwork. Interesting. That's really good advice, but yeah, I quite it like was. that. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I should have listened. <laughs> I thought, why, why? I worked so hard to get here. Why, why do I have to yeah, go back? Yeah, what's this again? maniac telling me? He's talking nonsense. What's he on about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, yeah. you know, a guy like Mike Way, a couple of years after that, told me I had, uh, I was heavy on my feet. So I thought, okay, maybe she, maybe she so, was right. Yeah. For me, I don't know. Like the one thing I, if people are struggling with the split step, I always just encourage them to. If you if you bring your base really narrow, if you really try to slide your feet really close together, yeah. it, it almost like tricks you into just finding that split step. You know, as soon as that mm. base is wide, I find like you, your your center of gravity just sits that bit lower, and you almost like glue yourself to the floor. So that's a good it point. May, maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe it's not. It might not work, but I tend to just encourage them places to right, get really thin with your base, and you know what, your feet have to then go somewhere. If your feet are quite close together. They have to go somewhere before you move, and invariably, it just naturally clicks into a bit of a split step. So, might be a little life hack you can try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that could trigger something better in the, uh, going forward. Then maybe with yeah. a split step. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Send me a video. I've got lots of time on my hands. Okay. <laughs> no, it's embarrassing. No, no. Actually, yeah. Uh, no, I, I definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I do. It does work for me sometimes, but it's not. Uh, right. Not something that that's uh, consistent. Uh, I'm not sure yeah, if, I, yeah. if that's the same Paula. Yeah, but else, like because uh, that thing, I, I I think you can get quite hit up. And, and again, I probably relaxed my view on it, and I was going, no, no, split step every time. And but actually, the more I've watched the videos, you know, it, it, it's a high percentage. But we're talking probably 90 to 95 percent of the time there's a split step. But there's those odd moments where where you just you just are either out of position or you've just got your feet slightly wrong. And you just, or, or even if you're at the tee really early, sometimes if you're there really early, sometimes you don't even need to split step. You know, you watch someone like Gultier sometimes, he gets to the tee, settles on the tee, gets, gets himself quite wide, and he doesn't split step a lot of the time. You know, okay, he's got some ridiculous speed, oh, yeah. so he makes up yeah. for it there. So there, there are these trade-offs along the way. So I've, I've started to relax my view a little bit on going, insisting on it all the time. But it's something that when, when if you can stimulate it, you know, 90% of the time, I think it's something really valuable. Right on, 
Right. Now, uh, I was just going to ask you, is one, one of the uh, things that you captured in your videos, uh, and let's say, uh, for example, a junior came up to you and said, now, uh, you showed me the, uh, the James Will strip, the, you know, the backhand uh, drop shot from the back left. Um, what about the triple fake? What do you say to your juniors when they ask you to work on that one? Oh my goodness. I, I, well, to be fair, we do build in, um, what do I call I basically call it freestyle. So there's certain sessions we go and I will basically just give them, you know, we'll do like a little, like it's basically based on a superset. So we'll have like a little mini rally situation. And then my final shot is a back wall boast. So I will just give them this massive, oh, yeah. like a sitter, a complete sitter. Yeah. And I just go, right, this is your creative time. Do what you want. Top spin it do a fake if you want. So I don't necessarily even try and teach them it, but I give them the opportunity every so often just to go, this is, this is you, you know, freestyle it, do whatever you want. So I think, yeah, and you, you, you see them trying to do like the Rami backhand volley push flick thing down the line or, you know, a bit of a hold and then like a delay or even like a little Daryl Selby topspin thing. And I think that's, that's great. Like, yeah. so I, you know, when, when you see that, that triple fake or the Daryl Selby or, or, or these amazing shots, Yes, you can maybe take a slight element of it and replicate it, but I actually just think put your players in a situation where they can try to be expressive themselves. Mm. You know, they've, yeah, yeah. They, they've got access to shot of the month. They see all of these amazing things happening and going, hey, we've got to practice this. We've got to put you in these situations where you've, you've, got, you've hit a thousand balls in, in an easy situation and you might come up with the next thing that, you know, you know whatever, you might come up yeah, with give, something. Give that, them, that gives them the scope to, uh, to be creative. Um, Completely. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, like show them like, and again, like often right before we do one of these creative sessions, because probably one in every, probably three or four lessons, we'll do a really open creative one. Um, we probably sit down for five, 10 minutes before and we just watch the latest shots of the month and we just go, right, here we go. Here's 15 examples of some amazing stuff. And it just gets them, just gets their mind and their eye, almost like it gets their eye in a little bit. I know it sounds weird watching it, but they, they, they come tuned into it. So they know, oh, we're in a creative mode here. We're in a creative type session. And yeah, it's really some of the stuff they start to come up with. And, you know, I think we sometimes underestimate the youngsters. You know, we go, oh, like, we've got to tell them what to do. And, you know, they've got to listen to us. But once you give them, once you empower those youngsters, man, they can be creative. They can see mm. things that just, just the blind spots that I can't even see. You know, they, can, they do find some really cool stuff. Well, they're, I mean, obviously they're passionate about squash and they get to see all these, you know, all the top pros being creative like that. So. I guess in their own mind, they either you know they could copy what they see or try to be creative themselves. So if you get you give them the scope to do that, and uh, yeah, you, yeah, who knows what they're going to come up with? Exactly, exactly. So you know, I think they they was itching for that uh, that creative session. But <laughs> so yeah, and part of me thinks like, well, maybe we should do it one in every two. But then possibly you, you start you start losing your narrative. And things off. get a bit chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't like the structure gets a bit a bit silly and stuff. But hey, but listen, like you got to know your audience as well. Some kids are they don't want to. They probably never want to be a pro, and that's fine. So you know what? Maybe doing more creative sessions with them so they can be at the club or at junior tournaments where they're not that serious, but man, they can enjoy their game and that might keep them in the game longer. You know, mm. all of a sudden there's, there's less creative sessions and we're, we're, you know, I'm trying to go right. No, you know, you've got to hit like more drives down the line. Hey, that kid might not even, even consider even playing after he's 18 and that's fine. So why not make his experience super enjoyable in that time? He's going to play. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, now, now, Jesse, you were you told me uh, a while ago you started your your graduate work, uh, and uh, it's connected to at least at least this element of, of your graduate degree. It's connected to what you refer to as uh, the constraints led approach, and that's some research that's been done by. Um, someone in the field that's quite prolific. I forget his name right now. But you you yeah, sent me the link to the book, and I, I did read uh, the preface, like I said. Uh, but but for the layman uh, like myself, and like probably everyone who's listening here, what is the what is a constraints led approach in terms of uh, you know what you want to do with it uh, in particular? How would you how is it applied to uh, to squash and coaching and the game? Yeah, sure. Um, man, it's something that that I unfortunately don't think I got a lot of when I when I turned pro in the UK. I think mm-hmm. I had a lot of this when I was growing up in Africa, but then I think the formal side of coaching became quite serious. So, okay, in z- simple terms, constraints-led approach is 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 a better way to put it is, is it's a games-based approach. It's, it's playing a certain amount of games in whatever field you're on. You know, hockey, golf, cricket, tennis. But how can you make the the training more game-based and how can you link the training to games? And this guy called Ian Renshaw, who I've been following for years, um, wrote the the book on constraints-led approach. It's a philosophy of coaching in simple terms. And so much of it is about engaging more youths in sports, making their engagement more fun, Mm. making making better decision makers, uh, making players who can um, adapt in any situation if there's, if there's um, a bad, a bad line golf or a bad referee or the conditions aren't quite right. So, you know, and, and I know in my younger days when I came as a pro here, early two thousands in the UK, so much more we did. I think we did like, you know, two sessions a day, three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. And it was so much drill based. It was up and down the line. It was repeating the same thing and a lot of repetition and it was it was great. Don't get me wrong, but man, if I personally, if I was a different type of character, that would have been the worst thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Like it would have put me off. But I was quite stubborn, determined, going well. Whatever environment I get put in, I'm I'm going to make the best of it. But the constraints-led approach is is all about manipulating the environment for those a lot of those reasons I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Engaging more players, better decision makers, more creative thinkers. Um, can adapt in any given situation, and 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 uh, in the book in Rancho, he talks about um, you know stuff like Tiger Woods when when he won the um, what was the tournament he won was it the Masters he came back and yeah. won that Masters, and even something uh, last like last year, yeah, and, and yeah. he's referring to he, Tiger even was looking at things like the ripple of the wind on the water, and that was then making him decide of what club to use because he was. He was looking at so many external factors of where he was at, what other people had done, and he was capturing this data like amazingly, and he was able to adapt really interestingly. So a lot of what coaching is is going all about hitting the ball better. Let's say golf, for example. It's all about clean striking of the ball, and let's repeat it on the driving range, and let's hit those balls. Mm. And basically, Ian Renshaw with his constraints-led approach is, is, is dismissing that. He, he doesn't say you should never do that, but that should not be your majority of your training sessions in about like the feeling of hitting. It's more about how much information can you capture with a – a variance of an environment that will lead you to make better decisions in the heat of battle. So I, I just think that's fascinating. So this I, sort I, of speaks to uh, what what you, the kind of work you're doing with uh, Allison and, and Tom a little bit, isn't it? 
completely. So this yeah. is where for me it was like a, a, a I was really a, a revelation. I would I would hope because I was almost fumbling doing my own thing, just going right. I, I think it should be tried like this, and and I, I want to try do it like that. And you know, I was doing it, and then I came across the constraints-led approach, and what it did, it, it it reinforced some of the stuff I was already doing, and what the, what it did even more, it, it started to polish some of my ideas and go, ah, right, I was getting that a little bit wrong, but I should try it in this way, and ex- exactly that, it was almost like, how can you manipulate the environment? So like to a certain degree, and it's all about degrees of manipulation, you know, there's a scale of one to five I work on and five is chaos and one is very kind. Mm. And when, when do you work at number one and when do you work at number four and when do you bring your player back and forward and how do you go up and down that scale of, of kind and chaos? So for me, that's what the constraints led approach is really interesting. And that's what Ian Renshaw in the book is talking about a lot. And, and that's where, where, where I'm, I'm trying to forge the squash version of this is, is, is knowing or, or the skill of the coach is knowing how to go up and down that scale, w- what sessions you have to, to basically have that constraints led approach working to the best of your abilities. Uh, and I just think it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Look, it's not necessarily new and groundbreaking, but the no. way he puts it across and the way he... Well, it could, um, it could be groundbreaking in terms of squash uh, coaching. I mean, we, we still see a lot of, you know, the conventional, traditional uh, sort of training that goes on. So Completely. And, and look, yeah. I think it, it depends on your audience. Like, like uh, say like a beginner, um, you probably need to have them doing some repetition. Of course, you mm-hmm. need some repetition to get better. But even a beginner, like there's only so much repetition before you need to go, okay, well, someone's going to now chuck in a boast and that ball is like work at different angles. We need to, we need to change your environment or create a game-based approach or constraints approach for you to learn to execute or to just even get that ball back. You know, so even beginners, it is very tempting to give them, you know, these easy feeds and they repeat and, you know, 40 minute lesson, they come off glowing. They go, Oh my goodness, I hit so many balls. They were so clean. I feel like a million dollars. But that beginner jumps into a match now, and it's there's nothing. Nothing of that applies <laughs> to a match, you right. know. So how can how can the, that's the question I'm always asking? How can the constraints led approach um, help that beginner, where where you can slightly manipulate that situation where they're able to play their match a bit better? And, yeah, because that, that's the key. I mean, with, with beginners, right? They, I mean, they get on a squash court if they haven't played. It's kind of, everything's kind of strange because the ball doesn't yes. bounce and it doesn't come back to you. You've got to put yourself in a, you know, in the right position to be able to hit it. Um, Completely. And, and so. I think a lot of lessons for beginners is more about making them feel good. And that's fine to a certain degree, but they're not going to feel very good when they can't hit any ball in a match. You know, so, right. <laughs> and, and that, that for me is really interesting. So I, I say to a lot of the beginners I work with, I say, listen, there's going to be a bit where, where you're going to probably hopefully enjoy this lesson, all of it, but there's going to be some stuff where I want to put you out of your comfort zone and we're going to play these little mini games but it's all about preparing you to be able to adapt in the match. There's no point in me making you feel a million dollars in a lesson and then you're going to be distraught because, you know, you can't return the serve. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no, exactly. How do you come to terms with that? I mean, that, that's something that for, for all beginners, I think they struggle with is return, especially on the backhand. So. Yeah, completely. So, so again, it's, it's starting simple. I'll probably just get them to do a few backhand volley repetition, but then even just very soon, we just go, okay, so we're going to throw you into this little game situation where I'm going to serve, but you have to return the serve in front of the service box. You can't let the ball go behind the service box. So it's like a mini game in the front of the court. So okay. then, then I get them 
you know, and, and even just like one or two shots. And then, you know, it's just completely just changing that situation. But I'll probably go back a step before I, the details. I suppose it's the trust and the conversation you have with that player prior to that point to try get that to try get them to buy into it to go right listen like it, it's great you're here for a lesson and but just just understanding the goals of of the player on the court you know understanding what they where they want to go with it what they want to do with it some players that I coach some beginners they just honestly they just want to play games they don't even want, yeah. want a lesson oh, it sounds crazy <laughs> but 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 that's that's over the time you build this trust i think i think that's the word this trust this conversation this this ability to really align you know, the, the player's goals with the lesson you want to give. And yeah, me, I can that, remember back when, I mean, I still coach a little bit, but when I first started coaching a long time ago, sometimes if I had a student who was, you know, you know, you, you could tell, you know, they were, they were struggling maybe with a return to serve or with the backhand or getting a ball out of the corner. Sometimes I just kind of, you know, want to make them feel good and I wouldn't really uh, address those things. Completely. Yeah. I think sometimes you, I, I keep, I use it quite a lot. I, I think I, I use the word bogged down. We can get easily bogged down mm. with that thing we're working on your weakness. It's so easy to get bogged down with it and fine to address it. But yeah, just, just pivot sometimes completely pivot and be like, right, we're doing something fun. We're doing something engaging. And even if, if we do play a mini game, you know what, there's going to be some return of serves you're going to have to deal with in there. So in a way you're working on it, but almost subconsciously that you're not, you're not shining such a spotlight on it that you're yeah. becoming frustrated with it at the same time. So yeah. And, and again, it's, I think for me, obviously I, I work with some beginners, but that's pr predominantly, you know, kind of county level juniors plus, and then, and then going up into the pro stuff. So the constraints led approach for those players is, is it becomes really interesting and in the environment you can manipulate and change. Um, and it's just, it's just so, so much fun to be able to do. And yeah, and I suppose that's the journey of this, this, this book I'm trying to write is, is. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, you've got a, you've got a book coming out and, um, uh, or, or you're writing a book as, as we speak, I guess. So is it, it's kind of tied yeah. into into this, I guess. No. Well, yeah. So, so okay. So this is where it gets, got really interesting. So I got uh, Ian Renshaw's book, loved it, you know, proper fanboy of it. And right at the, like, one of his last chapters was, he basically said, oh, so in the future, we're looking to bring out sports-specific books of mm. the constraints-led approach. So that just pricked my ears up big time. So there you go. Complete you shot him an email right away. I did. I did. I emailed him <laughs> I thought I'm never going to hear back from this guy. He's a, like really sought after. He's a lecturer. He does public speaking stuff. He's writing books all the time. You know, pretty big in the coaching world. Yeah, within 20 minutes, email me back, said, I'd love to chat with you about this. This sounds exactly what we're looking for. And I just, I like melted. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, and I was such a fan. So, so you, had to commit, you had to commit his book to memory then? before you called yeah, well, geez, like, <laughs> honestly it was like a pleasure i was just like oh my goodness i was eating the book up as it is so yeah, yeah. i actually had a I had a zoom zoom chat with him about um, probably about a month ago now because it's right at the early stages i only only contacted him probably in february time so it's only only very recent um and oh man and we, we probably spent the first 45 minutes just talking about philosophies and different sports and what he's done and he used to play squash back in the 80s as well so he's got a bit of a squash background okay. which is a lot. um and then like yeah about you know five minutes before the end we were like oh should we talk about the book a little bit in the process <laughs> and yeah so the whole conversation was we were just well again i was just completely absorbing everything he was saying yeah. um but yeah like i said where it's at, at the moment so he, I'm, he's I'm, keen he's keen on getting you on board then He's really keen. It's, it's so, so encouraging. And, and even yeah. just some of the stuff we talked about and, and he was like, no, this is exactly what I want to hear. And, and he was very similar when he was getting coach squash in the eighties. It was, it was all 
attritional, hard work, up and down the line, repeat, repeat, repeat. And he actually said he stopped going down to get coaching because he just felt it was so boring. So it was really interesting chatting to his experience about that. And then I was telling him about the supersets and these things that I'm doing. And he's going, brilliant, all that stuff. That's the type of stuff we need to, we need to tell people about and need to get it out there. Um, and I think a big reason for also writing or, or attempting to get onto writing this book is I do quite a bit of coach education in, in England with England Squash. And the biggest frustration I always get after, you know, we do like a level one or level two stuff, the coaches turn around and going, brilliant, we understand it, but we don't have any, um, we don't have enough um, resources. We don't understand what type of lesson we need to run, which, which for me, that's criminal. You know, a lot of, mm doesn't address that that much so for me this book is hopefully going to be a companion to a level one or level two going right you've done your level one you've got your qualification but look at this book there's all these ideas to stimulate your mind and going right for a beginner this is a type of session you want to do for an aspiring junior these are the type of sessions for um, a group of club players these are the type of sessions you want to maybe think about mm -hmm. so it's, it's almost trying to give like um, the coaches as well as players obviously but like a resource to stimulate their mind to create more fun engaging sessions and you know ultimately to get more people playing to get more people engaged to get more people playing the game in a fun type of way so yeah it, it could be an interesting journey and i'm right at the start of it so super excited by it no that's really good stuff i mean that this is kind of what what squash needs an injection of that into the coaching i think i think there's a lot more of that out there now with the younger generation of coaches that are coming through guys like you, you know, the young guys that are over there in the U S so, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the young fellas like you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Not quite. Not <laughs> you know, I'm speaking to my age there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, it, but I, again, there's some brilliant coaches and I've, I've learned again, like what I find interesting, one of my assistant coaches, he's, he's only a 21 year old lad and I've been banging on this drum, you know, games based approach constraints and, and then I'll turn up at one of his sessions and just, just watch him for a little bit. And he's coming up with the most creative things I've seen. And I'm borrowing from him. It's a young 21-year-old guy just on his coaching journey. But the big thing I look at is I, I look at the faces of the kids he's coaching. And they are just immersed in this task, not even knowing almost that they're improving and getting better. But they just focused on the competitive element of that game or whatever he's created or the challenge he's put on. And I'm just like brimming with pride, just going, yes, that like if we can get more kids in that environment, man, we, we'll have a much more sustainable game in the long term, I think. And, and it, for me, it feels really exciting. If more coaches can set their environments up for, for, for that, 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 that thrill the kids have where they're competing in that games-based approach, oh, man, it, it could be really exciting. That's really, that's really good stuff. And, and when, do, um, when do you think you might uh, complete your uh – your version of the uh, the squash version of this uh, the, <laughs> yeah, this book is is it, is it uh, on its way? Oh, it's, it's completely. Well, again, it's 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 where it's at at the moment. It's being roadmapped. That that's what I've been told. So roadmapped. We, we, okay. Road, okay. Road, road right. mapping it. So all I've written. I mean, all you you've laid it all out right here on this podcast. I think. I, there we go. I know. I know. <laughs> I might have to make sure no one plagiarizes what I've said. Here yeah. Or gets gets in there before me if someone's a bit of a quicker writer than me at the moment. But um, but no, it it feels like I'm I'm close to submitting my final proposal. Um, basically when that happens, Ian signs it off and says, gives the big green light. And then he's going, right, right, go right, go flesh out those chapters. But it, look, it's a back and forth thing over, over many months. You know, I think mm -hmm. my, my goal would be to get it out in it by 2021, early 2021, you know, so I'm thinking January time, 2021, 
to give myself the rest of this year to 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 nail it, get all the chapters down. Uh, I'm 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 gonna be. There's, there's a lot of coaches I want some input from, so there's going to be a lot of coaches referenced in there as well. So it's not just all about me speaking about it. I want to I want to see what constraints other coaches are putting on, adapt it to the theory, talk to them about it. So it feels like I want to I want to capture a lot of what I deem good practice and put mm-hmm. it all in one place. So for me, that's what could be quite exciting. Not necessarily saying no, you can hey, definitely uh, you could probably take a lot away from other sports, can't you? I mean, just oh, just man. the way they you know with the constraints that they layout in, in their sport you can sort of uh, comply that yeah. I, I, w- I would say in more recent times a lot of a lot of what i've done the squash court has been stimulated from watching american football practices or the man city football drills where they where they doing these little creative things and you know adapting yeah, give us a, if you don't mind just give us an example of something that you know let's say you saw you know for example tiger woods sees the the ripples in the water and he he decides to go with a with, yeah. a, with a nine iron instead of a pitching wedge. Uh, or, or, yeah, so I suppose I suppose the one that, that 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 comes to mind straight away is a story that I heard from. Um, oh, let me get his name. Michael Phelps, obviously the the American swimmer, famous American swimmer, multiple gold medals. Mm-hmm. He was a very much. Um, uh, creature of habit everything would have to be perfect so he'd have to turn up to the session at a certain time eat a certain way the temperature of the water a certain way so what happened on one of these sessions is um his coach accidentally trod on his goggles so during the session his goggles were steaming up the whole time and michael phelps was losing the plot just going i can't believe it's a week before nationals my goggles aren't working and him and his coach had this massive row big fallout really really terrible type situation and what happened is, is then they didn't speak or anything for the next week and went to nationals. And what happened, they'd got the temperature of the water wrong at the nationals or something had happened where the, the temperature was wrong and everyone's goggles started steaming up. But what had happened, Michael Phelps had invariably practiced this way of like steamed up goggles and he, he, he broke loads of records, won all these things. <laughs> so what him and his coach agreed on was what's called sabotage sessions where his coach at any given moment was allowed to do sabotage. He would turn up one day and give him a pair of boxer shorts to swim in. So it would be lots of drag or he would change the temperature of the pool. And Michael Phelps wouldn't be allowed to argue with it. He wouldn't be allowed to 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 complain. So give, uh, yeah, I guess another good one would be to you know give him a leaky pair of goggles. Yeah. Exactly, exactly yeah, yeah. that. There was all these, all these weird sabotage things. And the one big thing that came to mind, and, and, and it's a quote my juniors and players hate me saying, but I, I, I live on this one, is I always say adapt or die. I say mm-hmm. adapt or die. So what I'll do sometimes is I will throw sabotage in. I will start the session with, with, with um, a one dot, not a two dot. So the ball yeah, will be yeah. pinging around. It'll be skiddy. And, yeah. and, and we'll give, give, him a, give him a, like a, a month-old ball. Yeah, completely. And they and they, the first thing they do is they throw the ball out the back and they go to their bag to get a new one out. I'm going, no, what are you doing? We're, we're using that ball. We are having that ball in the session. So you got to adapt or die to it. I don't care if it's the worst session in the world, but you got to adapt. But then what I'll do as well is, is even in a little group, so there'll be two of the juniors training and the third junior might be outside or something. And they will start calling um, bad decisions or start saying like, no let when it should be a stroke. And actually getting them prepared for really bad situations of bad marking and refereeing. And the yeah. kids explode and they're looking at me going, 
Jesse, what, what, why is, why is Claudia refing? She doesn't even know what she's doing. And I just look at them and I just say, adapt or die, people, because that's, that's what it is at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of times we've done <laughs> these things is like sabotage things. And, that's and awesome. I'll get yeah. play with the different rackets. I'll be like, yeah, give, like, give them a, a racket with a slippy grip. Yeah, honestly, like we've done yeah. that. We've done. I, I I've yeah. got a dodgy racket with a slippy grip. I'm going. You got me you thinking get, now. I, 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 I've got great <laughs> thoughts going through my head. It's great. Like once, once, once the players understand why you're doing it, because the key. The, so what we I call find, that a sabotage session. Is that exactly sabotage? Yeah. Sabotage session. So, and you don't yeah. do it often, but 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 no. you throw it in sometimes. Um, and for me, that that that's one interesting thing that I've I've that you know there's well, a few. That's a, that's a constraints-led approach, right there. I mean, you 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 have no idea what what's going to happen in a match. I mean, who knows? Exactly. Yeah. Referee conditions slippy. So sometimes when our courts have just been sanded, they're slightly dusty, and the other courts haven't been sanded. Maybe you forgot your shoes. Yeah. Guess what? We're playing on the dusty court today. Just get on with it. It's happening. So it's, yeah, so it is a bit mean, but I, again, but the adaptability and you'll, mm. what I, I do find that the kids adapt quickly, you know, once they get over there, you know, the, the kind of idea behind it, they go, Hey, you know what? This is it. And then you see kids like hacking the ball low and down the middle because that ball's skidding now off the floor and they've, they found a way to go, wow, the situation's different and awkward, but we're going to maximize it. We're going to make our opponent feel really bad because yeah. of it. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, one so of the things I, I remember that, that used to get me a lot was uh, sometimes uh, the, course, the courts would get moist. It depended on the time of year. But uh, the, the, the slide, the, yeah, the sidewalls. Yeah, horrible, horrible yeah. situation. Yeah. You sometimes can't, you can't practice that. You know, you don't necessarily have that situation but you know if, if anything occurs like that if, if players have been in that situation where they've had to adapt you know what they're probably going to be in a good place to be able to try and just try something different and not to get upset by it not to be like you know it's it's, it's invariably the person who starts moaning most about it will lose that, that match won't they because they're so yeah. worried about the conditions and worried about winning the match you know but the player that just goes hey these are my conditions i can't do anything about it it's it's, a, it's an unchangeable factor you know, within reason, sometimes you can change the court and can change the ball. But if you can't, man, you know what? Get on with it. Let's uh, let's let's start adapting quickly. Well, you know, uh, Jesse, there's a reason you've been on my podcast three times. It's because uh, of uh, conversations <laughs> like this. Uh, just amazing stuff. Now, uh, uh, before you go, buddy, um, now I, I did like I told you, I read your blog, and uh, one thing that came out of it uh, that was really uh, amazing was the the Tim Minchin's uh, nine life lessons. Oh. And I'd never be? seen it. I'd never uh, heard of it before. Um, oh, man. Never, I but I, I, did, I watched, I watched uh, most of it and absolutely oh, amazing. Uh, and I just shared it, uh, actually. On my, brilliant. Oh, on my social. But uh, tell, tell us what it is about, about that, um, you know, that, that speech that he gave at the University oh, of Western oh, Australia that, that, you know, that speaks to, yeah. to what you, you, your philosophy on life. So the big one, and, and again, it's really nerdy this, but I've, I've got it written on, on my notes on my phone and it's highlighted and, you know, scribbled on, but it's, 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 it's that it's being micro ambitious. I just love that statement, micro ambitious, you know, kind of immerse yourself in those short term goals. Yeah. I think that idea of going, right, I want to be this type of coach in five, 10 years time. Yeah. Um, and you've got this long life philosophy that, that, you know, you miss that shiny thing out the corner of your eye. I, the think that, I was just going to say that, that whole thing uh, that he was saying about the oh, periphery. Beautiful. You miss the periphery if you've got your sights set on something yep. that's, that's too long term. 
completely and yeah. i just think just just and that's that's you know uh, always thinking about better ways to do things and you know i think i just feel like i throw myself into things get excited by it get really stuck into it and talk about it to loads of people as well i think that that that's that's the thing i've i've learned is once you've got something like talk to people about it because you just never know the doors that might even open up you might meet people that will help you along that journey whether it's writing this book or whether it's you know coaching a, a slightly new way or something and that for me is that that micro ambitious goals you know immersing yourself in those things in the moment become passionate about those things that are right in front of you and 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 immerse yourself in it massively and I think, you know, for me, it, it, it has, I've been so lucky to meet people along the way, some doors that have opened up because of that micro ambitious goals and not looking too far into the future. You know, those, those shiny things in your periphery have, have sparked off and, and that path has changed slightly and it's diverted and gone, hey, I'm going to, like a magpie, I'm going to go over there and look at that bright, shiny thing for a bit. And that's not to say that you don't follow through and it's not to say that you don't commit to hard work and you don't, you don't see it through for the long run. Because I think you can look at that speech and especially that part of it where you can start to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to float around and flip about and do whatever I feel like. Yeah, there, I, I, I mean, some people might see the cynicism in some of it, but I, I don't, I, I didn't see that. No, exactly. I, I think, I think if you look at it that way and, and just go, yeah, that whole micro ambitious type side. And yeah, so I think that that's the big bit that spoke to me. And, and I just love going back and watching it. I just love him as a character. I've followed yeah. some of his, his comedy stuff he did in the past and he does West End shows now. And I just think he just, he just speaks great. And, and he just, for such a successful guy, you can tell he's, he's got his feet on the ground still. He's, he's probably still searching for, for his thing as well. And it links to that, that early bit in, in the blog. I think the quote I, I said about, um, you know, forget about finding your, your purpose in life, you know, do what energizes you do, do, yeah. do what you're passionate about. And I think that for me is, is another interesting thing that, that, you know, whatever path that leads you on is, is probably going to be quite a good path, isn't it? You know, I think if you're mm. so searching for your purpose, man, you, you, you might be missing out on that thing in the moment, that thing that you're meant to be doing right now or that little diversion. Well, I guess so, all the, yeah. you know, if you think about it this way, all the, all of those little moments that you find yourself in, would at the end of it be what you were kind of looking exactly. for. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like it's almost the sum of all those parts, mm. isn't it? Like sum all, those, of all the parts. All those, yeah. Yes. Those, those little peripheries, those little diversions, those people you've met, that one conversation that just can almost change your life with someone. It's just like, wow, that's, that's quite powerful. So no, th well, thank you for referencing that because, oh man, the more people that can hear that speech, in my opinion, the better it, 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 it did. I think I've probably 10 years ago. So I remember he hearing it come out. And yeah, since then, it's just been a constant reminder in my life. So yeah, very, very good one to, to probably finish up. Well, cheers, Jesse. Uh, yeah, let, why don't we finish on that? And I just want to say uh, you're doing great work with the squash skills. You're doing great work Thank with you. your with your pros. And you're doing some fantastic stuff there out in the bush, uh, really. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, stay safe and stay well and uh, uh, all the best. Perfect. And listen, for me to you as well, Jerry, keep, keep up your good work as well. It's great to, great to hear the, the guests you're getting on. And yeah, it seems like you're, you're, you're becoming the, the, the place where all those podcasts are going to be. So I, I must make a massive apology. And I don't know how it slipped through my net because I didn't reference your podcast. I'm so sorry. Oh, <laughs> for... I honestly listened. To, I don't know why that one slipped off my list because I've oh. got it on. And I listen to all these. So if anyone's listening now, please listen to Jerry's podcast. And I'm so sorry. Again, I genuinely listen to all of them. So I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Right. Come on, Cheers. So. Take care. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, how was that? What did I say? Shot out of a can. And yes, Jesse Engelbrecht, episode 139. Thanks to Jesse for that 
passion that he brings uh, each and every time that he's been on the podcast. Always something uh, interesting, something new, and something definitely outside the box. The energy that's there, the passion that's there, and uh, you know the knowledge that's there and that he's accumulating uh, every day is uh, definitely it comes out in that episode and every time he's been on. Looking forward to have him having him back on again soon. And speaking of coming on to the podcast, we have Super Squash Saturday bonus episode coming coming up very soon. And uh, this week it's going to be Rene Denis. Uh, he's a uh, was head coach of the Canadian Junior National Team for several years, uh, where he coached uh, Jonathan Power in that capacity and also the assistant coach to the Canadian Men's National Team. Uh, he's also a co-head coach of the Jamaican National Team. And he's been around uh, for, for many, many years. And he's got a lot of anecdotes about not only about Jonathan, uh, which is, and the guy, and Dean and, uh, and Graham, the guys from Super Squash Saturdays. But just overall, we're going to have a, a nice chat with him, hopefully, and get some, uh, some of the stories that he's uh, accumulated and experienced over the years. And we'll talk a bit about that. So really looking forward to, to having uh, Rene Denis on uh, prior to Super Squash Saturdays. And then coming up next week, we're hoping to have on uh, a few others. I don't. And then coming up next week, we have a, a couple of more very interesting uh, podcasts, which I don't want to jinx, but uh, with any luck, they will come to fruition. So stay tuned for those uh, as well.